Coach. Welcome to the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. This is Dan Tudor, your host, and I am so glad that you're here with us. Another special edition as we go through this crisis that is enveloping the country, as well as college athletics. But I want to take a little bit of a different turn today. We've been talking a lot about how to handle the crisis and, and a lot of the important discussions around that and your team and recruiting and just getting through this tough time. But can we just for one episode bring it back to just pure raw recruiting because that's still going on coach there are still coaches out that are going after athletes and getting them but also having to make tough decisions along the way and one of those decisions that a lot of coaches face is what do I do when I have two really good athletes one is slightly better than the other one but I don't want to lose them both just don't know which one I can get and so how do we play that whole situation. Well, that's what one coach contacted us about and agreed to have the conversation about how we would advise handling that over the podcast. And so what you're going to hear is the conversation with this coach who is uh, Division I and building a program and has a very good program that has been built so far but uh, is still struggling to figure out what is the best way to get the best athlete without, uh, without sacrificing and, uh, and ruining the chance to get the other athlete if, if needed. So that was the situation that was uh, laid out to us. I joined her on the phone. You're going to hear the conversation. And we really started with an explanation of kind of the situation that she was facing. My prediction is, Coach, this is going to sound hauntingly familiar to you. I am sure that you've had this happen to you several times every single year. But what's the right way to handle it? Well, that's what the focus of this podcast is for. So sit back, take some notes, and learn from this coach who started off with this scenario that she outlined for us. Hey, Dan, uh, we have been working pretty hard to close our recruiting gap with our younger classes by being more proactive with earlier identif- identification and communication. And mm-hmm. we've been pretty good about um, trying to identify and communicate with our, our class of 2021. Uh, question is, we have two top recruits. They've already visited campus in either an official or unofficial capacity. Um, but I would like to push at least one of them for a commitment. Uh, They play the same position. I only need one. Ideally, I would like one to commit as soon as possible, uh, as that would kind of set up the remaining dollar amounts for the remainder of the class in terms of scholarship equivalency. Um, So now with the additional fifth year for spring sport athletes um, and trying to include those student athletes and not really knowing exactly what their situation is, it's going to be harder to communicate what type of uh, dollars we have available for the class of 2021. Um, In the past, I just haven't really pushed timeline, but I've been tried to, I've tried to be more resolute in my efforts to do Mm -hmm. that. Uh, But then this, the COVID-19 crisis hit. And so, you know, obviously you kind of feel for the kids in their situation. Right. Uh, Okay. So, a couple of uh, maybe one or two more questions just to kind of set things up, because when you and I originally started talking about this, uh, it was after one of the webinars we did. And um, some of that webinar, I think, had to do with timelines and, mm-hmm. and that sort of struck a, a nerve with you. So can you kind of walk me through or or what we talked about with and we've done anybody who's listening to the podcast, we've done a lot of stuff on timelines and the importance of them or if they've read our stuff, we they know that. 
But what uh, what was it about what we talked about or said or what you sort of were thinking about as you listened to the webinar that caused you to kind of associate it with this problem or this situation with these two top recruits? Right. I think it's it's more uh, when you were talking about having a firm timeline and kind of being able to push for commitments, you know, asking them to make the commitment. Um, I think with the issue we have now is these kids can't go on the other visits that they were hoping to go on. And right. um, because they came as juniors, you know, again, we were trying to be proactive, which was great. Right. But now I'm, I'm kind of wondering if they're going to say, no, I want to wait till I can go on a visit elsewhere, or I want to, you know, I'm going to jump at the first opportunity I get. So right. just trying to kind of feel them out, but also give them a good opportunity to see other places. Cause I am a, I, again, traditionally, I haven't really been too much of a pusher. Right. And, and, and so that was going to be my second question. So a great lead in. And that is that there's always a reason why a coach approaches things a certain way. And you've built a really good program uh, in your sport, top 20 nationally. And so there is a lot going right. And I'm just wondering when it comes to a, you know, the idea of a firmer deadline and a definition of the timeline you want them to go through, why why are you feeling like you you want to do that and it needs to move in that direction? And maybe what caused you to come around to that thinking that there needs to be more definition in all of this? Right. I, I, I think another thing that struck me from your webinar was taking control back um, hmm. and feeling like you're, you're a little bit more in control instead of just kind of waiting for them to dictate your right. next move. Um, and again, I, I'm pretty empathetic towards them and their situation, understanding that they're 17 year old kids that are doing this for the first time and we're adults and we do this for a living. And so right. uh, trying to have the, the empathy and compassion for their situation where um, I also have a job that I need to do and I can't right. you know, allow the 17 year olds to dictate my outcomes. So right. uh, I think that was a big, a big part that pushed me. And then you, know, you see people in our sport committing earlier and earlier. Um, and, you know, I kind of, I wanted to get in on that and just make sure that we weren't uh, flying in at the last minute, that we were being more and more proactive with trying to get kids on the earlier side. We've had some kids um, commit before they even finished their junior year of high school to um, certain programs. And that for us, that's a little early. So I, I wanted to make sure that I was one of those programs committing people on the early side as opposed right. to waiting until they were done. Right. It's interesting in the way that you phrased it, and that's very normal, I think, for a, a top performing program, uh, the way that you sort of come to this idea that there needs to be more definition. And what I think is interesting is that it's usually the, the, the upper performing programs, the programs that have tasted a, a degree of success, which obviously you have. And now there's, I think there's an equal amount of, I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to, I, I sort of fear losing what we have built and also there is then the frustration that okay well we're the top 20 but now i want to be top five now i want to be you know always in a final four or the postseason and and that then drives like what is the next step because i'm sure that in your situation like in every coach's situation you have these recruits that sort of play you versus the other and they end up choosing the other and that's that can be a little bit frustrating so so let's step back for a second and talk about the timeline. 
because uh, you're here, you have these juniors who are who have visited your campus. Maybe they didn't get to go do other campuses, but they are they're, they're The process moves forward. In other words, they're going to graduate. They're going to move on to college. They're going to play their sport in college. Can you explain to me just for your sport when the I guess when the normal commitment time would would happen naturally if, if we weren't in the middle of a crisis that we are here in the spring of 2020, if we weren't in the middle of that for your sport, just so anybody listening could get a frame of reference, when would they normally be committing if they were an upper tier or a good solid recruit in your sport? Uh, like I said, right, basically right before the end of their junior year, over the summer between the their junior and senior year. Got it. Uh, some of them will wait until um, October to, to finalize their commitment as well. Cause a lot of the people, cause again, we're a spring sport. So a lot of the official visits right. are in the fall. Um, yeah. now that we've been able to, to bring juniors on campus with that change, that's been helpful. Um, so they can come on campus a little earlier. Um, so for those who have fall seasons, that makes it a little bit easier for them to get on campus without interfering with their respective high school seasons. Right. Okay. So, Somewhere between May and late July or early August is the norm. And so when have you lost prospects uh, before? So if, if you were to wait to that time normally, if, if there was going to be a recruit that really hurt to lose that recruit and they go to someone else that either you compete with or just another, another Division One program that is recruiting them, Mm-hmm. Can you walk me through like what timelines have you seen take place with them? What where at what point do you lose those kids that you're that you're thinking about there? It's not it's not a usual it's 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 an inconsistent time period. Like I said, I was kind of okay. caught by surprise by a kid who was committed in May. And it's like, wow, okay. Mm. That's interesting. That's very that's pretty early for us being committed before you even finish your junior year of high school. Right. Especially for for the caliber of player she was I didn't feel that she was you know the the kid that's on the national team or you know doing anything um, super crazy to to deserve that early of a commitment and so right. that's that was a little surprising um, and so that, that really got my attention which was a good thing but um, I feel that the timeline is usually dictated by the the level of the school asking the question. So if you have a team, like you said, that's been in the final four uh, pretty consistently, um, you know, that kid will, will turn on pivot, you know, do a hit, heel pivot and go and take books to go to that school hmm. when we've been nurturing and investing time and energy in the process. Um, but I feel like we have kids that are high academic performers, uh, pretty affluent sport. And so people, uh, may choose to go to a, a name brand school over a school that might be a better fit for them. All right. Well, one of the things that you just mentioned that I think goes along with why coaches set a timeline is that uh, the early commitment by, let's say, that one kid who sort of surprised you, and she wasn't even a uh, you know top caliber prospect necessarily, but she committed early, had the offer from someone else committed earlier, and it sort of surprised <laughs> you. I think that's the other element of control is that I don't want to see any coach be surprised by a prospect. Now it's going to happen, but not, I don't want it to happen as much as it seems to be happening because then that takes you out of the control and some other coach, just by virtue of the fact that, that they happen to 
hit all the right keys at the right time with that athlete. And uh, that athlete wanted to make a commitment and just get this done. Or maybe that was a school regionally that, that they wanted to go to. Whatever the reasons were, it fit. And she hadn't been communicating that with you. And then you get the news at the end. And that's the part that when there's a defined timeline, uh, I think that 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 helps solve that problem. Because if you knew or if you were agreeing with all your prospects that by late May, early June, at the latest, you were going to be wrapped up with recruiting. And that was the defined timeline at the very start of the recruiting process. Now there's context for everything that you do within that that 12 to 18 months of, of recruiting them. And, and also along that way, it gives you sort of reason to go back and say, hey, so, so look, we're four months away or three months away. Uh, have there been any new schools that cropped up? How, you know, how are you seeing things play out? Like there's a reason because you're approaching this deadline to ask for that. I think it's more justification for them than to be honest with you. Not that they're always going to reveal who else is talking to them, but even if it's just uh, hey, here's I'm, I'm having questions about your school, about moving to this area, or you versus this other program. It seems to generate more conversations with with um, these these prospects. So we've done a lot of other stuff on timelines. I think that's why you insert a timeline and be fair and firm with it, because uh, it it helps greatly eliminate a couple of things that you uh, that you have brought up here. And I also think it was interesting, you know, you're saying it's depending on the caliber of the school, sort of how they play you against somebody else or what the attention they give that school versus you. I completely agree that the caliber really does matter. And you have somebody that went to, you know, play the national championship or, you know, went deep into their postseason. That's going to generate a, um, you know, attention, even if it was late attention that that school comes in late and, uh, and kind of steals the attention away. The preventative measure for this, which is something we've also talked a lot about, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with, with you on this because it really wasn't the reason that you reached out, but the messaging, the consistent messaging that happens within that timeline, every six to nine days going forward and saying, look, here's why it should be our program. Here's why you should want to come to this part of the nation to, to, to play and go to school. Here's why our degree is going to uh, be better than most of the others in terms of connecting you with jobs afterwards. Those conversations uh, done by letter, by email, and the, the written aspect of your communication, I think what we've seen is it dilutes other programs' ability to be able to come in late and say, hey, here we are, pay attention to us, because they're mm-hmm. so deeply ingrained and and um, it's been justified why they should be interested in your school. So it's been a mix of getting to know you. So there's the, the personal emotional tie to a coach. Maybe those those recruits have met some of your players. They've been on campus. They have, they've also heard, again, the logical side of why it makes sense to come to your school, play for you. For somebody else then to come in late, it's really hard to break through that. And if that doesn't happen, if it's all been conversation, what we hear recruits talking about is the fact that, well, I'm having this conversation, they're good with this other coach, but now this other coach is called and maybe this conversation will be just as good. And it, it kind of creates 
you know, they, they have to break the tie somehow. Well, without the logic and the foundation of understanding the why behind your program, your school, as we've talked about before, there's there's two key questions that these recruits are trying to answer as they go through the recruiting process. Why should I come play for you? Answer that for me, coach. And also, how are you going to be better than my other choices, my other options? If logically that hasn't been defined, then it's your word versus another coach's word. And if that other coach, how do I break the tie? If I seem to like both of you the same, I might break the tie by, well, they went to, they were in the Elite Eight, Final Four, they went deep into the postseason, so I'm going to go with them because that's how I break the tie if I'm a recruit that doesn't know how to evaluate anything. And many of them don't know how to evaluate the final decision, as, as most coaches learn. So that the combination of the timeline and the messaging is really key to, I think, making the whole timeline thing work. But so with that being said, just any other follow-up questions on those two things before we actually move to actually answering your question that you reached out about? No, no, that it, it okay. makes total sense. And we've been trying to clarify our messaging and make sure that we show how we are different yeah. and why they should come play for us. We've been putting right. a pretty big effort into that. Okay. Okay. So the question again is that you have two prospects. You need really one to commit. And then that would set up kind of what the remaining dollars are for the remainder of the class, which you would split between maybe a couple of different prospects. Is that a good way to restate? Yes. Yes, that's okay. that's correct. Just because it's like, you know, I want to establish this position uh, right. pretty quickly. And then, you know, there's other kids I want to move on, uh, but I can't really move on them until I get this sorted out. Right. Okay. So that's the other thing with the timeline is that it, once it's defined, it gives you kind of a pecking order of who is the priority and if they're not going to come and we don't get a sense that it's going to get done before the timeline, then I need to move on to person number two, because what I don't want to have happen is one, two, three, four, and five on my top 10 list um, commit somewhere else or drag their feet. And then I have to settle on number six or number seven. Mm -hmm. So with these two prospects, have any one of them, uh, well, from your perspective as a coach, have any one of them stood out above the other, or are they pretty equal? You'd be happy with either of them completely equally, or do you have a number one and number two in that in that pecking order? I have a number one and a number two. Okay, um, clear a number one, or is it close? It's fairly close. I, th I think okay. there's there's a lot of um, you know being able to play both sides of the ball. There's a lot of you know sport specific things that this right. the number one does well, but I think culturally and just um, also her, her geography where she's from makes it okay. a lot more, uh, appealing. Okay. Well, so for that number one, I, what I would want you to maybe do with her is explain the timeline to her. So look, perfect world. We would go back in time and do this right at the start of recruiting, but that didn't happen. So you, you are coming up on needing this decision. Uh, which is the other thing I point out to coaches is that in most coaches' minds, they have their timeline set. They know when these things need to be done. So we're not artificially putting something out there to the recruit that is just a tool to get them to, to commit. Mm -hmm. It's actually something that you know needs to be done by X time of year. And we're approaching that time of year when you know commitments are going to start happening. Other coaches are going to start getting 
commitments, at least during a normal year, and let's just assume it plays out the same during the middle of a worldwide pandemic <laughs> that it does during a normal year. And so that's the other thing a timeline does is when it's defined and verbalized and communicated, it's the same timeline, but now they know and it increases the chances of them playing along with it. So what I would do now is to go back to, and I'm just gonna call this uh, recruit Kate, just for the sake of, of a name putting to it. But let's just say with Kate, that you go to her and say, hey, Kate, we you know just kind of want to update you on where we're at. It's looking like we're going to really start wrapping up our recruiting here at our university and um, awarding uh, the last full scholarship that we're going to give probably around uh, early to mid-May. So I think we'll be wrapped up second or third week of, of May when it comes to that scholarship spot. And after that, it's just gonna be some partials. I don't view you as a partial scholarship. I think you're worth a full. I have you right now number one on my list. So look, I'm, and I think it's important to say, I'm not pressuring you. You've got time to figure this out and decide. You still have three or four weeks to think about it, decide. But I wanted to let you know that again, second or third week of May, we're probably going to be wrapping up. And if you don't want the, the, the opportunity, you don't want the scholarship, you're, you're free to not take it, but we're going to have to move on and give it to our number two person on the list. Uh, and the reason I'm telling you this is that we want you. So Kate, how does all that sound? Now, a couple of different things that we did in that, that I think is really important that any coach listening to this and certainly you in future situations can duplicate in the process. First of all, we define what the timeline is, whether that's you've got 15 months to decide or three to four weeks to decide, we have to define the timeline because now I, as the recruit, know how to think about it. I know how to treat the whole approach. I know how that fits in maybe with my timeline. And I need to know what you're thinking as the coach because I need to react to that. So, and then number two, what we're saying is, you know, here's how I see you and here's what you could have but also there's the chance that it could go away. And I think that that uh, that FOMO, that fear of missing out is really important really in any decision. That's why car dealers during Memorial Day had their Memorial Day sell-a-thon and the deals and the financing runs out on Monday. There has to be an expiration to what you're being able to offer them. So I think it's important to state that. But then there's also a really important psycholo psychological component in this that you, I really recommend that you, you tell her and she needs to hear it from you to say, Kate, you're free to choose. You do not have to take this if it means that you're going to feel pressure. So don't think I'm pressuring you. You are free to take it or to walk away and go somewhere else. In other words, make this her decision and also let her know that you're quietly, you're willing to walk away. And that phrase, I can't coach, I, I can't describe the number of times coaches who have used it have gotten back and the the term that they use for when they are talking to a recruit who at this point maybe had been a little bit cocky or at least standoffish or non-committal what it does is it just completely diffuses their um their stance it it really just sort of brings everything down and there's an incredible honesty to that that wow okay this is my decision this coach is letting me decide what do I need to do? And it takes everything off of you and it puts it back over on 
them to decide because ultimately they're going to do that anyway. But what we've learned is kids who are pretty smart and they get coached by smart club coaches and smart high school coaches who are advising them to do what? To wait, um, position one against the other. Maybe they'll up their offer. Hey, if you just, if you tell other schools that, you know, this certain university or college is recruiting you now, they'll be interested because that'll tell them that you're at that level. And that's what we don't want. If I'm you, that's, that's the last thing I want to have happen. So I need to explain to them that there is, you're free to choose. You, you are the one who gets to make this decision, but it needs to, you know, you need to uh, uh, decide by, by, you know, around this time, we're going to be wrapping up by then. And then the last part of it is, how does that sound to you, Kate? Because I need the immediate feedback. I don't want to just give information and then give her an out by saying, so look, think about it and let's talk over the next week or two, but I just wanted to let you know, okay, bye. I want the immediate response for her to be able to, to, to leave that door open, for her to be able to say, hey, coach, um, you know what, that's sort of what I was thinking. And that, so look, I think I want to do that, but a couple of questions that my parents and I were talking about, this, this, and this, and you get an immediate chance to answer those questions. Uh, or you get the sense right away that through her sort of verbal body language and what you're uh, hearing on the phone, or if it's on a Zoom call, you get to see her. If you can just tell if her reaction to that is, okay, coach, thanks. I appreciate that. That's good to know. Um, I'll, you know, I'll keep thinking about it and yeah, let's, let's talk again when it gets closer to May. For me, hearing the prospects go through these situations many, many times a week with the people that we work with, that would be a red flag because that doesn't sound like somebody who just reacted to that news in a way that was scared of missing out on the opportunity. It was more about, okay, well, I'm just going to get off this phone call with this coach who's recruiting me, which might tell me that she's not going to commit. doesn't mean you have to change the timeline, but the thing I like about the last part of the question is, Kate, tell me how this all is sounding to you. I get the immediate feedback, which she doesn't get the chance to think about and and position and make politically correct and give me the press conference mm -hmm. type answer that keeps it generic enough to keep you interested, but non-committal enough that she can still um, uh, search out. I need the immediate gut reaction because that's going to tell me what she's thinking. And so often coaches, after they've run through it like this, uh, they, they are able to tell right away. I would say in nine out of 10 times, nine out of 10 cases, you're gonna be able to tell right away what her attitude is. And if there's a nervousness about it, it's like, okay, well, so, how, so when do I need to tell you and this? And okay, so my mom wants to know this question. Okay, good. That's sounding like somebody that is actively thinking about us and now is a little bit scared of the idea of it ending and her missing out. And again, I, I outline what maybe a, a very passive, non-interested response would look like. So that's the first thing that that I would do in, in terms of the approach is go to the number one. And I think it's important to have kids ranked. Uh, they can't all be A's or you know all be B's or all four stars or five stars. You have to have a ranking to it because it enables you to go to the first one because I want the first one. If she can't be there, then I move down to number two. And then I move down to number three. Okay, great. Number three committed. Now I have the rest of the money to split between four, five, and six. I don't want to be getting down to um, uh, you know, everybody's waiting for a better offer. And um, 
they all commit and now you've been waiting and nobody shows up and now you have to settle for number eight because then that doesn't help you maintain the good position that you've built for the program. So with all that being said, follow up questions that you would have on, on that part of it. Yeah, I think that I I didn't say it exactly because I actually had this conversation with this young lady the other day and um, it, it wasn't as clear in terms of, you know, how does that sound? Give me feedback uh, right. necessarily. It was more of a like, hey, think about it, talk about it with your family right. and get back to me. Um, but I did explain to her that there were two people in the same position that I'm recruiting and, you know, the longer this lasts, the less likelihood of, you know, the scholarship that I that I right. offered being available. And then I also explained to her the, you know, the fact that some of the the current juniors in college are choosing to stay for a fifth year. Right. And right. that affects how much money I have as well. So that the, the amount that I thought I had originally is even less than what you know I will have because of these right. kids sticking around, and so it's just one of those things where I, I felt like I, I communicated to her our situation uh, clearly um, and told her exactly where we stood, and it it was you know it wasn't um, I don't think I was beating around the bush on anything. It was like hey, there's two kids I'm recruiting that play your position, and this is you know we'd rather have you like you're our number one kind of thing, and this is why so. You know, right. we're going to have to move on this sooner rather than later. But I think yeah. I got I got the kind of, OK, thank you response. You know, the, <laughs> the, okay. the, the probably not not so nervous response. And then you right. you, you get the, t the hint that other schools are now starting to get in the mix. And I think, again, where um, where this kid's from also, it's it's one of those like, wow, that person's recruiting me from this place. And that's so exotic and different and great. And it's like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. Right. So I think they just get kind of overwhelmed with the um, the name the name brand or where it sure. is, and that it's it's sure. fun or to be conference. recruited. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's fun uh, to be recruited okay. by that person. No, no, and and that's look. We don't want to. It was fun for you to get recruited by a lot of different uh, schools, and and so you understand again going through that uh, going through that process. There's another component to this, though, because we have number two. We want one of them. We'd ideally want number one, but we want mm -hmm. number two as well if number one doesn't do this. So I think the important thing whenever you have that top group of whether it's two or four or seven is to communicate with everybody besides number one as to what happens. So I think you could communicate the same two. So we named your top recruit, Kate. Let's just say uh, number uh, number two is uh, Sarah. And so for her, I think what your message out to her is the same when it comes to the timeline. Look, you know, so we've been recruiting you for a while. Just to give you an update, we feel like we're going to be wrapping up sometime early to mid-May. So here are the next, you know, two or three or three or four weeks. We feel like we're going to be close to wrapping up. Uh, we're and But you're, now the end part is a little bit different for her. We're going through our final evaluations and we're gonna to try to make a decision here. I can let you know the reason I'm calling you is because you're in our top group. You're one of those few that have made that cut. So expect to be hearing from me with something here in a couple of weeks. So you're, you're instead of asking or telling her that you know she needs to decide, what we're saying is we're going to be deciding and coming back to you potentially in a couple of weeks with what we what we have. But then your follow-up question is somewhat similar. So how does that sound to you, Sarah? 
But I would also maybe throw in, walk me through what, if we called back and said that uh, you were one of the kids that, that we wanted to wrap things up with, what questions are left that we need to answer with you in order for you to do that? And what, what we're trying to get here is while they're waiting, because we don't want inaction, we don't want to feel them to feel like you're not taking the process seriously or that they're not involved deeply in the process. What I want them to hear or feel from you is action. And I want them to be sort of taking action. So if there are conversations back and forth, maybe that's by email or text, it doesn't have to always be uh, long drawn out phone calls, but if there can be a general theme for the types of things that you're talking about with them, if it can be what they're wondering about or what some things are that they need answered. Now, maybe that's about the location or the degree or my role on the team or when when would I start seeing playing time, whatever that is, to be able to answer that and talk about that while you're waiting for that other recruit to make her decision as your number one, I think is a really smart way to go about it because at the end of it, I want her, let's say we do have to go to number two and just some of your early body language indications for number one is that it could be her. I want you to be able, I want her to be able to feel like you were the coach that was serious, that you were filling in this void and maybe everybody else is sort of quiet right now. We're not really talking procedure and making the decision. You are, I think that holds a lot of merit so that when you come back to her and say, hey, uh, Sarah, our number two in this example, you're the one, here's your full scholarship. And we've been talking over the last couple of weeks. I think we've answered all your questions. Are you feeling now like you'd be ready to verbally commit? And when coaches do it that way, it works much better than the alternative, which is I'm going to not say anything to my number two, to Sarah in this example. I'm going to focus on Kate. It doesn't work out with Kate. And so now when I'm more pressed for time, I come back to Sarah and say, hey, Sarah, um, you're, you've got the scholarship. Uh, what do you say? And what is she going to say? Well, I need, wait a minute. I had these questions, coach. I'm not quite ready yet. So I want a bunch of prospects. If it's, if I look at my, the perfect world for me, especially as a division one coach, and especially where your program is at nationally and, and getting better. What I want is a lineup of, of good, solid athletes. My numbers one, two, three, and four by every position or, by every event group or whatever sport you you know a coach happens to coach, I want those lined up, hoping that I pick them, so that you go in and pick one, and that's the one that you want in this example. What most coaches do, which is a mistake, is they don't want to until I know exactly who's going to take that that offer. I want to perfectly position it, so I don't want too many kids interested where I'll have to disappoint them. But I also don't want too few where then I'm disappointed and I don't get my, uh, you know, the people I need from uh, from this um, from this class. So I think you need more recruits ready and hoping that you pick them, that they're ready to say yes versus just that one. So does that concept make sense in, in terms of how that positions you? And, and I think what it does is it answers one of those key questions or needs at the top for you, which was, I want to feel like I'm more in control. Absolutely. Yeah. Instead of, again, instead of just kind of waiting for them to go through the process, and I, I feel that the process is valuable. I don't want to take that away from them necessarily. Uh, cause I, I'm a, I'm also a believer right. in the fact that you go to other places and you're like, wow, I, 
I really don't like it here. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and I really liked it there. And it, and it just validates right. their decision further um, or saves you a headache if they like the other place better. And, you know, it right. saves you some saves you some trouble. So, yeah, no, I think I think that makes a lot more sense in that regard. It's extending right. the communication well, along the, across the board. We'll be back to the show in just a minute. But first, a quick question. What makes a college coach a more intelligent recruiter? Well, it starts with using technology that actually gives you insights and trends when it comes to the recruits you're communicating with. That's the mission of Advanced Recruiting Intelligence. RE gives college coaches the ability to track, rank, and communicate with recruits like no other app available to coaches. And the best part? It costs 20 to 40% less than what most departments are paying for their older recruiting contact management programs. For a free demo, and to see why so many coaches are saving money and using better technology to boost their recruiting results, visit ARIRecruiting.com. And now, back to the show. Yeah, and, and I think also what it does, and to, sort of to that point, is it, it actually does open the door for them to define what they want. So if we're, if we're worried about the ethics of recruiting a good prospect and making sure they're having the time to make their decision and make a good, clear decision. I mean, I think it's imperative that we give them, that we open the door and say, so look, you know, we're going to be making these decisions, Sarah, our number two, here in the next couple of weeks, what questions or things do we need to go over in the meantime? Because if she came back and said, you know, coach, I'm sold. I don't have any questions. I love the school, really want to play for you. So I'm just, I mean, if you want me, I'm in. I think that gives you information that you might, you know, then maybe things change. Maybe it flip-flops and you say, you make the strategic decision as a coach to say, you know what, I want this kid. She wants to be here. The other one, I don't get that sense. So I'll I'll make the strategic decision to flip it and, and offer it to number two, which is totally, you're right. But with all this, unless we set a timeline, unless we're communicating regularly and throwing out things to give them things to ask questions about, or we don't give them the final opportunity to, to basically open the door and, and say, it's okay to ask a question and I'm here to answer it. They usually just stay silent. And that's the thing that we don't want. We don't want complete silence from, uh, from all of that. So that's, that's the thing that, uh, that we see working best. And I would just throw it over to you for any other follow-up questions or, or thoughts that you had? So in that hypothetical situation that you just presented where, mm -hmm. um, you know, you call up your number two kid, you call up uh, Sarah and you say, uh, Hey Sarah, what, you know, what can I answer for you? And they say, Hey coach, I love it. I want to come. Right. But you've already given Kate the timeline mm -hmm. and that maybe right. you're a month out from that timeline that you gave Kate. So how do you, ethically approach that situation where you can, where you say yes to Sarah because you have that yes, but you also honor the timeline that you gave Kate or would you at that point, would well, you just turn well, around and call Kate and say, so hey, look, again, so-and-so committed? That That's where ethically, there is no right or wrong answer to that because at the end of the day, coach, you're the one that has to build your program and you know, look, there are some coaches who would say it's talent over everything. I'll, I'll, build the culture into them, but I've got to have the talent to win. We're just at that point where we just need talent. Or you have a lot of coaches that would say, I can work with a lot of different kids, but if they aren't the right fit culturally, 
and they don't want to be here, then I don't want them. So I don't think there's a right or wrong way to approach it because that's the great thing about the business that you're in as a coach is you get to create this thing from scratch that is in your image. That's in, it's the way that you want it. And you, you could probably talk about four or five different coaches in your sport that all do it differently and they can all be successful. And so I don't think there is a right or wrong answer to that. Uh, I think as long as you are making decisions strategically in a way that, that, guarantees that you're going to get the right kid at the right time in the right position that does things to build the program, then I think you're good. Because from an ethic or professional standpoint, your job, you're employed by the university to do what? Not to create happiness for a bunch of kids, because that's almost impossible (laughs) to do universally. Your Mm -hmm. job is to put together the best team that goes out and when they're in competition or when they're walking through an airport or when they're uh, in a restaurant or out in the community, it is the best representation of that university possible. And that includes winning and that includes, again, the national recognition that again, builds the credibility of the athletic department, builds the, the name recognition of the university. That's your job is to, is to create this winning program if I'm an accountant, my job is to get the numbers right and to try to save and save money for my clients and advise them to do the best thing from a you know tax and, and planning standpoint. It is a it's a nice plus a, if I'm a friendly accountant, <laughs> or it's a nice plus that I'm you know I get my work done early and on time. But at the end of the day, my responsibility is that the advice, the numbers that they're that I'm I'm putting together this professional representation. That's my job. And in the same way, your job as a coach is to put together winning programs. And that's at Division One, Division Two, Division Three. You just started a program in the NAIA, junior college coach. It doesn't matter if you want to build the career, you build the program, you do it by focusing on who gets us better. And better, the definition of that for every coach is completely different. So better might be a cultural thing, better might be pure unadulterated talent that's going to you know that's going to help us instead of you know being top 20 it gets us into the top five and i don't think there's an ethical um choice there it's it's part of your job it's part of what the school is investing and paying you to do absolutely okay that makes sense so permission to build it however the heck you want to coach um and, and again, I'll extend what I just said to recruiting. Uh, there are, there's one of two parties that can control recruiting. We can either give it over to the athletes and the parents and, or the, and the club coaches and let them figure out the timeline, or we can control the timeline and set it on ours as coaches. And you know what? I think you know how to do this better than the other parties do. And I think secretly they do too. Is they, nobody, everybody likes to have control, but if I don't know what I'm doing, um, then it could be dangerous. I would love to fly a plane. I think it'd be fun, but I have no idea what I'm doing and it's not going to end well. So I think for you being the expert, being the pilot and with your background, which is extensive and impressive and what you built with the, the program you coach at is impressive. You know what you're doing. And I think you command a certain respect. And the one of the last things I'll say is that when you're issuing these timelines and when you're explaining, here's how we're going to do things, here's when we're wrapping up, what I know happens, coach, is that it's perceived 
by the prospect that you are in a position of strength, that you're somebody who demands the respect and should get the respect. Conversely, the coaches that say, okay, well, look, hey, look around. Uh, we want you to be happy and uh, just let us know. We'd love to have you. What that communicates, and prospects come back and tell us this, what that communicates to them is that coach will just take anybody at any time. I can, I can play her and position her. I don't have to make a decision. And it doesn't come off from a position of strength. So even if a program is listening to this or coaches listening to this, and they're not top 20 in the country in Division One. You have to still come at it with a position of strength. Otherwise, they're going to see that they can delay and that you'll still take them any time. I just, I've never seen that be a winning strategy for building a program. Um, so, and I don't think you're doing that, but I think there's a couple little pieces that you even identified where you could, where you might be able to shore it up in terms of the approach. And I think you get an even better group of athletes in, um, and certainly with these two, uh, the two that you're trying to, to decide, I think you will, at the end of the day, if nothing else, you're going to feel like you're in more control than you maybe are now. Right. So, Coach, look, there are going to be a lot of different situations that envelop that type of a question when you face it. Uh, all sorts of unique circumstances, as was the case with this coach's but the point is, there are some good, solid principles to follow that we outlined for her that I think are going to work. And as you put those to work, I think you're going to find them to be uh, good good directional things that you can do. Look, the, the point of recruiting, the point of you being a coach in this program that you lead is for you to build that program. It involves getting the best student-athletes possible at their position, in their sport, at that particular grade, that's what your job is when it comes to recruiting. And yes, find the right athlete based on the culture of the program that you're trying to build, that you feel is coachable. All those things matter. But at the end of the day, when you have two or three good athletes, how you handle that situation is really the difference between a mediocre program and a very good program consistently. So we want you to be a very good program. And that's why we felt that this topic was really relevant and we wanted to share it with all of you. Like I said at the start, a little break from full crisis mode and how do we get through the pandemic. Uh, Coach, you're going to get through it. You're going to be fine. And it's going to look different afterwards. You're going to have some new challenges, but you're going to be back on campus. You're going to be coaching again. And when you do, I just want you to be the strongest recruiter possible. So look, there's a couple of things that I would recommend looking into as you look to up your skills. First of all, we have a fantastic exceedingly inexpensive online training course called Tutor University that you can go through during this time where you have a little bit of extra time to actually invest in yourself. And that's a, that's something that you can find over at the website, dantutor.com. We've had a lot of coaches, more, more than ever actually, taking advantage of that because they've always wanted to, haven't had time. Uh, but you will learn real tangible recruiting skills and it will change the way that you recruit. Same thing if you subscribe to our Honey Badger recruiting daily training emails. Those are usually reserved for clients, but we also open it up to subscribers. Again, very, very, very inexpensive. Uh, works out to about 95 cents a day that you're investing into your, your career. You can find that over at the website as well. You can just go over to the Honey Badger recruiting site if you aren't already subscribed and getting those messages and it will show up directly in your inbox every single day. You have access to the complete library of daily training that we've given coaches. 
and it's a great resource that's really um, changing the way that coaches recruit and approach things on a daily basis as well. And uh, something else that we're excited about that I want you to pay attention to is our National Collegiate Recruiting Conference for 2020 has been changed. We're not going to be able to meet in person at Duke University in July as we originally planned just because of the crisis and some of the uncertainties surrounding that when things are fully going to be opened up. And plus coaches are just having to struggle with their uh, their team budgets, their personal budgets. And so we wanted to do something unique this year. We wanted to make it free for everybody to attend virtually. And so we are putting together a collection of fantastic speakers, experts, authors, people that can help you become better recruiters, better marketers, better planners, and and more organized coaches. And we're going to be putting that information out on uh, on the web. You're going to be able to attend it virtually, but you do need to sign up. So that can happen over at the dantutor.com website. You will just go to the conferences tab, fill out the form. It's free, and you're off and running. And we will be contacting those who sign up for access as we develop this, uh, probably uh, towards the middle to end of June of 2020. So we want you involved, Coach, and there's lots of good, inexpensive ways to take advantage of uh, the research and the work that we've done, and we want you to do that whenever possible. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode, Coach. We'll be back with more. We have some great, great episodes in the works that we are putting together. So keep on listening. Please tell your friends, coworkers within your department. Uh, on the next Zoom meeting you have, everybody's having Zoom meetings now, so mention us. The the, uh, the podcast is there in case people don't know about it. And uh, make sure they're getting this information too so that you as your whole staff, your whole department, can be recruiting properly. And plus, if you do it, you'll look like the smartest one in the room. So that's never a bad thing either. Coach, thanks for joining us again. Have a great day. Hang tough out there and keep recruiting strong. I appreciate you listening. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Coach. The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2016 through 2020. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or stream us on Stitcher, and make sure to tell the coaches in your department about the show. Email the host at dan at dantutor.com and visit the website to access more of the free resources we give to the college coaching community. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. So. Well, thank that, you. Uh, okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah.